Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Right. Good morning, afternoon or evening, look up listeners. It is August 26, 2020, and this episode is going to be a little bit different. I don't have a guest for you today. Uh, we've done now somewhere around 40 to 45 episodes, nearing that big 50 mark. Uh, and if you include the episodes that I lost, probably have recorded just about 50 episodes. And while I love the format of the conversations that I'm having with guests, I also have had this desire to do a solo episode. And I find myself this week with space to do that. I don't have a guest booked. Um, I was quite busy last week. I actually had to move this week's guest to record in two days. And so we'll move back to regularly scheduled programming next week. But in the meantime, I thought, hey, what a great opportunity to do a solo episode. Uh, So y'all can get to know me better in some of the ways that I'm thinking about the world. August 26, 2020, we are still in the midst of a global pandemic. Um, although I did recently see a chart that some of the major, uh, epicenter cities like Phoenix and Los Angeles and Houston have seen a massive drop in the number of daily cases since the peak, uh, which is wonderful, wonderful to see. We also have fires in the Northern part of California that are ravaging some homes. And so I have some friends there as well in my heart. Thoughts and prayers are with all of you. I hope that everyone can be safe and happy and healthy in these times. And the same goes for those of you in the southeastern United States who will likely be affected by not one but two hurricanes this week. Hopefully they subside a bit before hitting land. And all of this is happening in the backdrop of one of the most challenging political environments, I think, that we've seen in the history of the United States. And, you know, globally, borders are shut. We're seeing a move towards more nationalism across the board. Various countries wanting to bring jobs back. The United States in some ways justifiably so, wanting to bring important manufacturing capabilities for things like medicine, medical equipment, and high-tech chip manufacturing back within the United States borders, and rhetoric between the leaders of the two largest economic forces in the world, the United States and China, continuing to escalate into 
adversarial tones rather than coopetition type tones. So it's a fascinating time and we're still sitting at somewhere around eight to 10% unemployment in America. The rolling quarantines have definitely affected small and medium sized businesses. And while the government argues over whether to stimulate $1 trillion or $3.4 trillion into the economy. And yes, that's right, trillions, not billions. Unprecedented amount of fiscal and monetary stimulus flowing. We see this Cantillon effect of most of those dollars flowing towards insiders, large corporations, CEOs, um, who over the course of the last decade in an unprecedented run-up of the equity markets have managed loose corporate governance policies, loose treasury policies in terms of using debt to buy back shares in order to pump the share price for investors. And many of these executives have lucrative stock option packages where they're taking tens of millions of dollars in options to themselves. And of course, those options packages increase in value when they buy back shares. And so we've seen instances of companies that really don't need stimulus receiving it and then using those stimulus dollars to pay themselves fat bonuses. And it's no wonder why the average American struggling to make ends meet is demanding more support and also has come to this place of lack of trust in our institutions. I was listening to Daniel Schmachtenberger talk about the life cycle of democratic republics historically and how the vast majority of them have only lasted around 300 years. We're sitting about two, year 250 in the United States and it's clear that there has been some decay in the trustworthiness of our political institutions, of our economic institutions. There's economic capture at the political level, much of which has to do with the Supreme Court ruling of Citizens United in 2010 that essentially dictated that corporations are people and money is free speech. We have a lot of money in politics. Um, a lot of self-interested folks in power. And the youth are asking, what about us? And those that have been left out of the, the system are asking the same. And we're seeing the rise in political protest and riots around Black Lives Matter justified by many conversations I've had with my black and brown brothers and sisters who feel that they are not represented by this system. Worse are intentionally held down by this system. 
and it's time for us to listen to them as well, if we haven't been already. Of course, I've had folks on this podcast talking about these issues, and I've also had folks speaking about the criminal justice system, which is another stain on our country, in my opinion, fueled by a failed war on drugs, harsh three-strike rules where young men are convicted of drug-related, nonviolent felonies and put in jail for decades without bail. We have 25% of the global prison population in this country, although we have, I believe, 300 million over 7 billion, something like 5% to 7% of the world's population. So we are a prison state. There's no way around it. And those prisons are for-profit institutions in many instances who use low-cost slave labor of the prisoners to produce goods, uh, an extension of slavery. And that's problematic, to say the least. And punitive justice is clearly not working. 75% reincarceration rate within five years for male prisoners in the U.S. And then, of course, on the flip side, looking at entry into prison system, I think that if you're a black man, you're somewhere around four to five times more likely to be incarcerated than a white man of your age. If you're a Latino man, you're two to three times more likely. And so it's clear the system does not work for everyone. We have many political and economic challenges that we're facing, facing all on the backdrop of this global pandemic, which has been unprecedented in its scope and speed. And we're still collecting data on and learning about. And it seems like the natural disasters across the world are picking up as well. And so I think that's leading many of us to wonder what's next in 2020, as we are now in the second half of the year, marching towards like rolling thunderclouds, an election that whether you consider yourself to be politically on the right or politically on the left, feels like the result will be one of the most important election results in recent memory, certainly since I've been alive and and whether you are far left um, believing in that Trump and his cronies are trying to institute some form of neo-Nazism and fascism in our country, or if you are on the far right and believe that Trump is the savior against a deep state conspiracy of a child sex trafficking ring that has been in power for decades. It's certain to what you have in common is that you think this election is representative of a potential existential crisis in our country. We have a highly armed citizenry that's angry and unemployed and stuck at home for months. And that does give me pause about where we're going in November. And so all of this may sound 
disheartening. And it can be quite a bit overwhelming. And I think overwhelm is probably one of the words that we can use to describe the general sentiment of the population in America and those that are looking on in other places that depend on America's leadership in the globe. While we see the rise of authoritarian regimes in economic power and political power, I've visited China many times. I speak Mandarin. I love Chinese culture. Chinese philosophy is what led me to yoga. The Tao Te Ching, written by Lao Tzu, and the Duangzi, Confucius, Han Feizhen, and other Eastern philosophers. I think for those of you interested, I'll drop some links in the show notes. You should definitely check it out. But you know, there is a dystopian future in which a surveillance state like the CCP taking control over the majority of the world's economic and political resources, in my opinion, not a strong case for individual liberties. And so the survival of the United States and the liberal institutions, liberal democratic institutions that we claim to represent, although those institutions have decayed over time, I believe is paramount to the survival of liberty, uh, free speech in our globe. And that's not to say that the CCP hasn't done a phenomenal job of lifting billion people out of poverty over the last 30 years through their economic endeavors, but there certainly is a difference between the free speech in China and the free speech in the United States, as evidenced by my ability to make this podcast and speak about the flaws of our president. Um, But if this were to be released in China and I were speaking about the CCP and specifically Xi Jinping mentioning any uh, wrongdoing, this would be potentially censored. And so... I think that's an important distinction to make. So I didn't intend to spend the first 14 minutes of this episode talking about our current climate, but so it is. I think it's an important place to leave us here on August 26, 2020. And of course, many of you have been following the show and you also know that I've greatly interested in the backdrop of sense-making in our media landscape and the effect that manipulation of social media by bots and the ability of mimetic narratives to spread across media and confuse us, uh, the echo chambers of cognitive biases that we live in on platforms like Facebook and Twitter, whose algorithms have identified the emotional triggers of information that keep us coming back for more and potentially influence us to become more extreme in our beliefs rather than testing our beliefs and showing us the other side. Rhetoric seems to be getting more politicized, more angry, and I think that that has a huge part to play in all of this, the economic incentives of 
media platforms in a world where truth is really hard to calibrate. And so what do we do when the world around us seems to be falling apart? What do we do when we're overwhelmed, potentially in despair, feeling powerless and confused? So as you know, I'm a yoga instructor. I've studied the yogic scriptures to a certain extent. And I'm going to share with you today as a closing to this episode, which will probably be about 30 minutes long, which is perfect. Uh, one of my favorite stories from the Mahabharata, it's uh, the prelude to the Bhagavad Gita, which is the foundational text of yoga. It's a foundational text in the Hindu religion as well. And in the Bhagavad Gita, we have... Our fearless hero, Arjuna, from the warrior caste, who is preparing for battle against his cousin, who usurped the throne from Arjuna um, and his side of the family. And Arjuna... The Gita takes place on the battlefield and Arjuna is riding out in his chariot to meet his enemies in battle and fulfill his dharma of being that warrior. And he looks out on the other side of the great battlefield and sees many people that he loves standing side by side with his cousins and his cousins whom he knows and believes he should have a deep love for they are family after all. And he sees some of his teachers who are loyal to the, to the throne and friends fighting against him. And he turns around and he sees his family and friends on his side of the battlefield. And he knows that blood is going to be shed and many lives are going to be lost. And he is distraught. In many ways, this great battle is representative of where we are in the history of the world today, this great battle for attention, this great battle for economic and political power, this great battle for our health and wellness, for peace and stability, for justice and equity. And he gets overwhelmed. And so he falls to the floor in despair, crying, sobbing, and claims that he cannot fight. He cannot fulfill his duty and take back the throne, whether or not that is right. He, he's not ready to face the consequences of what that means and the collateral damage of fighting that battle. And his charioteer, Lord Krishna, Krishna being the human embodiment of the Godhead in the Hindu tradition, God, Atman, Brahman, the universal, the, the being that is within all of us, all things everywhere, also known as the Supreme Self or the capital S Self 
as written in English, not to be confused with the little s lowercase self or the ego, which sometimes we mistake ourselves to be rather than a representation of all beings everywhere. Krishna is like the Jesus character in the Hindu tradition. He is the human embodiment of God. Um, and lucky for our friend Arjuna, Krishna is in his chariot. And that is where the Bhagavad Gita begins. Arjuna, in despair, incapable of taking action, lying on the ground in the midst of one of the greatest battles of his life about to begin, Krishna shares the words of wisdom and the practice of yoga with our fearless leader and hero. But how did we get there? And I think that's what's most important because if we are just at the beginning of here in the middle of 2020 of some tectonic shifts in the global political and economic landscape then we're going to have to understand how Arjuna got to that place and why he was able to have Krishna on his side and in his chariot uh, to help provide him with words of wisdom and give him the strength and courage and, and wisdom to actually go to battle. And that leads us to today's story from the Mahabharata, which is leading up to the Gita. And it's basically at the point in time when Arjuna realizes that he's going to have to use force to take back the throne from his cousin, whose name escapes me right now. I'm actually, you might hear pages turning. I'm looking for his cousin's name. Hold on one second. Let's see if I can find it. Well, what's in a name, right? Ah, Durudana is the name. And Arjuna and his brothers are known as the Pandavas or the sons of Pandu. And Durudana's side are the Kauravas. And they are meeting on the great battlefield, the battle as an allegory for the cosmic struggle between good and evil and Arjuna not wanting to fight that fight. Well, Durudana and Arjuna know that they're going to have to go to battle. And Krishna, in addition to being the human representation of Brahman or the god the Godhead, God within all of us, the Supreme Self, um, in this gross physical plane is actually also a nobleman who commands a vast army 
And so each Durudhana and Arjuna are racing to Krishna's home in order to request that Krishna fight alongside them in the great battle to come. And Arjuna arrives first and sits at the feet of Krishna, who he finds sleeping, but does not disturb and wake Krishna because he has massive respect for this being. And he also has the humility to sit at Krishna's feet, subsiding his ego to the greater power. Durdana, on the other hand, arrives after Arjuna and seeing the sleeping Krishna as an opportunity to gain edge, he wakens Krishna and sits at his head. Well, when we wake up, sometimes we rise up and so Krishna jolts upwards and the first person that he sees sitting at his feet is Arjuna and then he sees Durdana and he basically, Durudana says, Krishna, I have a question for you. And Krishna says, no, no, no. I saw Arjuna first. Arjuna gets um, to ask the question. And basically, Krishna already knows what they're coming for. He had been expecting them. And so he also poses, I know what you're here for. And you have a choice. You can either choose to have my vast army on your side in this great battle or you can have me as your non-violent charioteer and advisor i will not fight in this battle but i will guide you through the battle and durudana knows what he wants he wants the army and he wants to speak first but krishna of course says i saw arjuna first so arjuna gets to choose and Arjuna makes the choice of having Krishna as his charioteer. And I'll take a moment to read from another great text called the Katha Upanishad, which is an Upanishad that describes a young child's meeting with death, Yama. It's another important text in the yogic tradition. This quote is, Know the self as lord of the chariot, the body as the chariot itself, the discriminating intellect as charioteer, and the mind as reins. The senses, say the wise, are the horses. Selfish desires are the roads they travel. When the self is confused with the body, mind, and senses, they point out, he seems to enjoy pleasure and suffer sorrow. When one lacks discrimination and his mind is undisciplined, the senses run hither and thither like wild horses. But they obey the rein like trained horses when one has discrimination and has made the mind one-pointed. Those who lack discrimination with little control over their thoughts reach not the pure state of immortality but wander from death to death. But those who have discrimination with a still mind and a pure heart reach journey's end, never again to fall into the jaws of death. With a discriminating intellect as charioteer and trained mind as reins, they attain the supreme goal of life to be reunited with the Lord of love. And so Krishna becomes the supreme self as the Lord of Arjuna's chariot guiding him. And Arjuna 
the discriminating intellect is the charioteer whose mind is the reins, and he loses the reins before the battle. But he had the wisdom in this moment of seeking Krishna to choose to look inward. If Krishna is the representation of the supreme self, the Brahman or Atman that lives within each and every one of us, because each and every one of us, according to the yogic tradition, have the supreme self, the light, the universal, we are that energy. It is within each and every one of us. We are already complete. And we need only to look inwards to find it. Arjuna could have chosen the external gratification of power in this instance and wealth, the wealth of a vast army to control in this upcoming battle. But instead he looked inwards. And I can share with you some lessons from the Gita in the future. Um, But spoiler alert, Arjuna wins the battle. And so tying this all back to today, we are in the great battle, friends. We are in the cosmic struggle. And, you know, maybe it feels more acute now today with everything that I mentioned in the first 15 minutes of this episode than it ever has. But we're always in it. I mean, from the mental challenges of dealing with family to the stress and strain of operating in a political work environment to dealing with health challenges, financial issues, individual problems with friends, relationship challenges with your lover. I mean, there's no shortage of great battles that we're fighting on a day-to-day basis. And the wisdom of this lesson from the Mahabharata is when we are preparing for great battle, we have a choice. And that choice is to look outward, to use our senses, to justify our actions through external validation, whether that be through gained wealth or status or power or conditional love from friends or romantic partners. Whatever form that external validation takes, it is fleeting. And this is one of the lessons of yoga is that we must not become attached to the outcomes of our actions and the rewards of our actions. Although we can enjoy them, Uh, attachment to them and seeing them as the ends in and of themselves can be leave us in a precarious position because these things are fleeting. Wealth, status, conditional love. But we can also choose at the moment of the great battle to turn inwards, to look for the light within ourselves to guide our decision-making our intuition merged with our heart center and our ability to discriminate 
that which is wrong and that which is what right for us, for ourself. And I want to invite you to look inwards over these coming days, hours, weeks, months, years, to go inwards and to find that Krishna within yourself, to find that supreme power within yourself. You have all of the answers. You have all that you need. You are everything and everyone and everywhere. You are powerful. You are intelligent. You are, you are exactly who you're looking for. And so with that, I'm going to close out my first uh, solo episode of the Look Up podcast. I hope that you enjoyed that story. Um, I remain available uh, via email, mark, M-A-R-C, at thelookuppodcast.com. If you're enjoying the show, please share it with your friends. I've got a Patreon community as well. If you want to contribute and donate, starting tier is $5 per month. It's like one cup of coffee per month to support the work that we're doing here. Uh, I don't have advertisers yet. Um, I've, I've financed this entirely on my own. And, you know, quite a bit of work goes into this creation. And I hope that it's of value to you. And if you recognize that, consider contributing to the Patreon. And if you can't do that today, consider sharing this episode and others with your friends and family and loved ones. But even just words, you know, reaching out to me, I, I appreciate that always. Um, and yes, go inwards, but feel free to reach out as well because Sangha or community or Satsang, a community of truth seekers is another incredible way to, um, to learn and grow. And of course, Arjuna won the battle because he looked inwards and had Krishna by his side, but he also had a vast army of friends and family by his side to support him. So I'm here to support you as well. Thank you all so much for your time. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I'll see you again next week. Hello, LookUp listeners. One final note before we go. Thank you again for tuning in. Going forward, we'll be releasing new episodes of LookUp every Wednesday morning, Eastern Time. If you're getting value from this podcast and you want to give back to support our future, please take a moment to contribute to our community on Patreon. Our Patreon contributors have access to some great additional perks, including one-on-one -on -one meditations with yours truly. I've shared the link in the show notes below the episode. You can also find the show notes to this and previous episodes on our website, www.thelookuppodcast.com. If you can't contribute at this time, there are other helpful ways to give back. You can share this episode on social media, tag me, and or leave a review on your favorite podcast app. Trust me, every review goes a long way. If you want more content, including more of my personal thoughts, you can follow me on social media, my handle on both Instagram and Twitter is at Wark Meinstein, W-A-R-C-M-E-I-N-S-T-E-I-N. Or you can subscribe to the Look Up Weekly newsletter on my website. I'm also very responsive to email, so feel free to send questions, booking inquiries, speaking requests, and sponsorship opportunities to marc at thelookuppodcast.com. Finally, for those of you that don't know, I lead virtual yoga, breathwork, and meditation classes, as well as one-on-one -on -one coaching and teaching sessions 
which you can book from the website or my social media accounts. Thank you to Sam Palumbo and Patch Kid Music for the great intro and outro tunes and for the sound engineering. Thank you, brother. And thank you to all of you listeners for continuing to support the show, for tuning in. And I hope that you've been enjoying this journey as much as I have.